Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast. My name is Graham Brown, joined in the studio by Adrian Bartel. Welcome, Adrian. Hi, Graham. Comment ça va? Uh, ça va, merci. <laughs> <laughs> that's about as far as I'm going with my French. Well, that's already amazing. Is it? Is most English people can't speak French, so surely I should deserve a pat on the back for that. Well, okay. Th thanks a lot. Thank you. I did my bit. So, Adrian, we're going to talk about Sleek. We're going to talk about your journey as an entrepreneur. And there's a lot of travel involved in your journey as well, which is fascinating. You've gone from France to South America to Indonesia to Singapore. Did I miss any out? No, yeah, you missed China actually, where I did an internship during my uh, my university. But right. uh, that's essentially it. Yeah, I spent like quite a, a big chunk of my childhood actually in South America, yeah. uh, in Argentina, a very emerging country. Uh, just uh, you know, right they were when they were in in the middle of their crisis in the year 2000. Oh wow! And the actually, meltdown, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it taught me that you know, emerging countries are full of uh, yeah chaos and problems, but also you know like solutions. Yeah. Uh, although like all the solutions are not very you know very normal, uh, if you look at them you know from our uh, Western let's say uh, developed world uh, you know eyes. And uh, I really liked the vibe in, in these emerging countries. Hence, after university, um, I really wanted to move back to an emerging country. Yeah. And uh, right after uh, my internship in China, I went down south to well, Southeast Asia for like a diving trip. And I, I loved it. And I saw that everyone was already on Facebook yeah. when actually it, has, it had just emerged in, uh, in, in Europe. So I was like, mm, it's an interesting, it's an emerging country. Everyone is connected. And I'm, I was a fan of e-commerce at that time. So I was like, okay, fine, I'm just, I, ju I, ju I really want to spend some time in this region. Hence, uh, I found a job actually uh, for uh, the um, global retailer Carrefour. Carrefour, supermarket. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So they were looking for someone to help them to uh, build, uh, build up their e-commerce platform in, uh, in Jakarta. And, uh, and uh, I got a job. So I was in the plane uh, like two weeks after you know, passing the interview. Right. And I went there. I spent two years well, building this platform first and then selling, um, well, in the vast majority of rice and diapers online. Right. Uh, it was fascinating, big experience, and I got to discover uh, really a wonderful country, amazing people, and a horrendous city as well, so yeah. Jakarta. Logistically. I, I love the people in Jakarta, uh, yeah. don't get me wrong, but logistically speaking, Jakarta is, yeah, uh, is hell on earth. Yeah. But again, a lot of problems, uh, lots of solutions. If you look at Gojek, for example, well, yeah. it was an alternative to beat the traffic. So I think it's uh, well an amazing illustration of uh, what I just said. Uh, and uh, yeah, I spent two years with them, with Carrefour there. Then uh, I moved uh, on to a much smaller company. Back then, uh, the founder of Luxola.com, so an e-commerce platform selling mm. cosmetic products, was looking for, uh, let's say, a digital Swiss Army knife uh, to open up uh, like a subsidiary in Indonesia. I, again, uh, took the opportunity and I stayed in Indonesia with them for a couple of months. Um, and then after I moved to Singapore uh, to eventually become the CMO of, uh, of Luxola. So then, uh, yeah, I stayed two years with them. Uh, we developed the, well, the, the Luxola. We expanded up to 11 countries. Mm. And in 2015, we, uh, well, we, we, we were acquired by uh, LVMH, uh, so uh, its branch uh, Sephora. Uh, it was very interesting. But, you know, I left a big French company because I was very bored of the politics, of the fact that it was very, well, too French, uh, to then, you know, uh, well, uh, again, see myself working for a big French company again. Uh, it was quite ironic, but I really liked, actually, the time that I spent with Sephora. But on the side, um, I started to help some friends in Singapore, in Indonesia, and in Thailand to build up their businesses. Mm. And as these friends wanted to raise money, uh, all the investors that they were talking to, uh, we're ask, actually asking them to structure investment vehicles, so like make it holdings, in Singapore. 
So my friends actually asked me to, you know, incorporate these companies. And that's where, uh, well, my love for the corporate secretary space actually came up uh, out of three massive, uh, well, love frustrations uh, with three providers in here in Singapore. And so that's why, you know, we're doing at the moment, we're just building an alternative to the very traditional way mm. uh, this market is being addressed. All right. Sorry, I, I went no, a that's bit great. Far. That is great. We will dive into the journey in a bit. We'll look at the travel aspect of it. We've got to put Sleek on the table so we can understand what it is. Mm -hmm. Let's get the uh, pitch deck up first and have a quick sort of browse through this. So you mentioned, Adrian, that the, um, the way things are done traditionally. Let's talk about that first. Mm -hmm. So anybody who's a startup founder here would have experienced the pain. Right? Oh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how the, the, the industry is organized? Um, so basically, in Singapore, whenever you want to incorporate a company, well, you can do it on your own. However, um, you have six months to actually appoint a corporate secretary uh, as, you know, well, like some kind of super admin agent yeah. that will help you go through all the governance and also all the, you know, the obligations that a company has in Singapore. For example, the uh, General Assembly meeting, uh, all the annual filings that you need to do on a yearly basis. Um, well... All these guys, usually, they help you to incorporate your business. Uh, and then after, they well, take you by the hand to help you, you know, manage the governance. However, they do everything based on paper. These guys are far from being um, efficient at actually, you know, just like replying your email mm. well, within 24 hours. And third, they're extremely, extremely blurry in terms of pricing. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, uh, wildly opaque pricing, low automation and inconsistent quality. That's, uh, right. that's on the pitch deck, yes. Yes, that's what it is. And that's because uh, do you have to be uh, somehow qualified or certified to be a legal secretary? Correct. So this is a regulated vertical. Yeah. So you need to be a certified um, corporate secretary. Yeah. So we do have a few people on board like um, that, uh, that are actually certified. I'm myself going through the course and I expect to, well, <laughs> pass the diploma at least end of this year. Right. Uh, because in any case, I've learned the entire Companies Act and I know how to, well, uh, you know, help a company with its governance as well. Yeah. So it's interesting because you have this happening to a lot of professional sectors. We had Asia Law Network here. Mm -hmm. We've had Speed Doc, you know, from the, we've had the medical profession, we've had the legal profession, corporate secretarial now, is that there's no reason why these sectors can't be brought up to date. And interestingly, I suppose we'll kind of dive into this a little bit. People think this is a threat to lawyers or a threat to doctors or a threat to corporate secretaries. However, when you actually go and speak to lawyers or doctors, they actually really like these services and these platforms because the problem isn't so much that they're, their hourly rate has gone from $500 now to 50. The problem is, is that delivery of their services is so expensive. If they can just kind of deliver a single point or a single task very, very effectively in a short amount of time, it's high margin. It's very profitable for them. So I think we've got to put it out there that assuming that this is what you're doing with the platform is if you're a corporate secretary, just like with law and just like with medicine, that actually the professionals really like these platforms. It's not sort of eating away at their business and meaning that they're going to become, you know, like the fiver of the, you know, or the upwork of the legal services space, right? So I think that's important that we establish that, that this is actually a good thing for them. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that in a minute. Yeah. We'll jump into the pitch deck again. If we can go back and have a quick look. 
we talked about the problem here. So what, what is the solution? What solution does this need? You've actually experienced this problem yourself and helping companies set up here in Singapore. What did you experience? Can you maybe walk us through one of the, the case studies of your sort of pain point that you experienced from day one? Yeah, I mean, so the, 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 the pain point number one is the, the budget. Uh, like, uh, the traditional in the, like the traditional players are very opaque in terms of pricing. I like to say that uh, they're an a la carte, you know, kind of pricing. So they tell you up front, oh, yeah, it's going to be $500 for the whole year. Yeah. But uh, you, let's say you do a share insurance, you appoint a, well, someone else as a director, you change address once. Quickly, this bill can go up to like, you know, $1,500 to $2,000. As an entrepreneur, and especially when you just start your company, you don't have much money and you'd rather, you know, spend your money and actually, uh, well, you know, things that actually can drive back revenue. Uh, these things, for me, it was a loss. Mm. And I was, you know, just like, uh, I, had, I was under the impression that it was just being robbed uh, by all these guys for admin, ad admin things, which for me is complete rubbish because on day one for your company, you want to make revenue, not loss, uh, you know, paying uh, well, mm. admin agents. Uh, at Sleek... We have, uh, uh, well, a yearly flat price, uh, so it's $800. It includes an unlimited, uh, let's say, amount of uh, government tax. Mm -hmm. So we like to say that we're somehow the Buffett-style uh, uh, sec um, in Singapore. It's unlimited. Right. So, so that, that was the pain point number one. Then second is the efficiency. So we are a service company. We're not a product company. We are, you know, selling you the incorporation and the management of your governance and never going to rely on the platform to say, oh, uh, sorry for late, it's the platform. No. If the platform doesn't work, I'll do things manually. I don't care on the mm -hmm. side. We are a powered, uh, tech-powered, sorry, uh, corporate secretary technology company. Right. So are you a platform in the sense that the corporate secretaries work for you, or are you simply brokering? No, so we're not a marketplace, actually. We do things on, on our mm -hmm. own. Um, it's just that, uh, you know, uh, it's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, filling the dots, uh, filling the spaces, sorry, on, on like on, on documents. It's just that we use technology to go faster and to, yeah, uh, be more efficient than anybody else on the market. Right. So we automate uh, the act of, you know, corporate secretary by, for example, you know, creating board resolutions to appoint yourself as a director yeah. of your own company. Um, before, we, if you look at the traditional players, uh, they take like one week because they send you a form, you fill out the form, then they have to manually input all the information onto their mm -hmm. template. We do everything almost like real time. You input the data on our platform, we generate uh, directly the board resolution. Of course, there is a, a pair of human eyes that will actually review the document, but then after we push it for filing and that's direct. It can be done yeah, in just like half an hour if, uh, if we don't have much... Uh, if we have much of bandwidth, that's it. Right. Okay, let's put this to the test. I want to start a business here in Singapore. I want to start another business, mm -hmm. okay? And this is real. This is a real case study. So walk me through. We, we can also transfer your existing business okay. to us. <laughs> All right, that as well. So let's let's just park that one for a little bit. Let's start with the new business, right? Um, I can go to a corporate secretary and get this done for, like you say, for the a la carte option. Yes. How, how are you going to do it? better what would be the process and how would the experience be better for me so first of all the traditional guy would ask him we would ask you sorry to well go to his office or you would need yeah. to meet with him we do everything online so you don't need to you know come to down to our office you can do everything well from your office from your sofa from pretty much anywhere we have a lot of clients that are actually incorporating companies in singapore from remote locations without even coming to singapore mm. so that's the first revolution uh, you do everything online Second, the whole like uh, onboarding process is done online. It's well as simpler as simple, sorry, as buying a flight ticket. 
you just upload your passport, you upload a bunch of information about yourself, your ID, and then a proof of domicile so that we can do also mm -hmm. our KYC. Uh, you pay, obviously, you give us a bit more information on how you want to structure your capital. If you are alone, well, that's simple. You have 100% of ownership of uh, your capital. And then, boom, we have enough information. We do the filing directly. Right. Doesn't my company need a local Singaporean representative? Correct. So you so do that as well? Th this is like the, the pretty much like the only obligation that you have in Singapore is that you need to have a local director, mm -hmm. either a permanent resident or a Singaporean. I don't know your immigratory status here. Yeah. So I'm neither. Okay. I'm, yeah. So then, yeah, uh, you can yeah use a friend or a colleague uh, that you know would be working yeah. with you, or you can also you know uh, use us as your uh, local nominee local nominee directors. So right. So you offer that service as well. Exactly. Yes. Okay. And when it comes to filing of accounts, bookkeeping as well, do you get involved in that? Yeah. So initially, so I'm a huge fan of Y Combinator. So at the very beginning, I was like, okay, I'm gonna do a corporate secretary, and I'm only gonna do that, but yeah. amazingly well. Very quickly, we realized that uh, any, everybody wanted to have just like a one-stop shop solution for both corporate secretary and accounting. So we started to hire accountants and now we're actually you know, serving both uh, mm. corporate secretary and accounting. So we can take care also care of uh, your accounting from the bookkeeping to the end of the year filing, everything. Okay, fair enough. Can't argue with that. All right, so this is what you do. How did you do it better than what else is out there? I know you said you use technology. Mm -hmm. What, what do you do technology-wise that makes it better than what everybody else is out there? Because I imagine, for example, you know, a lot of corporate secretarial companies are active out there in terms of marketing. You only have to go online and search for it, and it's one of the highest bid keywords out there for corporate incorporation services and so on. So they're, they're up there with technology on the front end. Mm -hmm. Back end, maybe, we don't know, maybe they're outsourcing it to India or whatever. But what are you doing on the back end that's better? On the back end, <coughs> it's just that, uh, well, our pricing speaks for itself. We're the only one on the market right now in having this, uh, well, yearly flat subscription. And then second, we're efficient at what we do. Uh, I don't accept and don't, don't tolerate, you know, an email that is not being replied uh, within, the within 48 hours after we receive it. Yeah. So that's the second point. Third, I'm not going to try to upsell you uh, things that you don't need. Uh, unlike, well, pretty much everyone on the traditional market. We're extremely, uh, I would say, benevolent in the way that we work with, mm. uh, you know, our client. On year one, we know that it's a very difficult year and that we also need to convince you, you know, with our service. So we are extremely keen to, you know, help you out on year one so that you love our service. And then so that after, well, year two, it's a no-brainer for you right. to stay. For example, we are now developing like a, a, some kind of wallet of perks. Uh, so now we teamed up with AWS. Uh, as soon as you know you subscribe, you get three thousand dollar US worth of AWS credit credits. We are we also signed up with uh, Stripe so two weeks ago, giving you ten thousand dollars worth of uh, well Stripe credits, and we have a lot more that are you know in the pipe uh, mm -hmm. and coming up. So these are these are like the two things that we have right now, and then third, I'd say that we are entrepreneurs. So as you saw, yeah, my deck is very minimalist. I'm not a lawyer and I'm not here to, you know, brag about my legal knowledge and so on. I'm just here to, you know, humbly do my job and that's it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to try to upsell you or to tell you that it's too complicated for you to understand the Companies Act. I'm just here to, you know, uh, get things done. That's it. Right. Did your time at Carrefour mm -hmm. shape the way that you are now approaching 
corporate secretarial services, what can you bring from that world of supermarket and logistics and distribution? Um, the hate of, uh, well, uh, corporate politics, uh, because that kills uh, the meetings, the re like, you know, the efficiency of a company. It's very fat uh, in the sense that, okay, it's huge. But then second, it's not efficient because, for example, we had meetings to plan the next meetings. <laughs> so that's for me, like, that's, yeah. that's, that's a nonsense. So I'd say that, uh, yeah, it, it teach me uh, how to, well, uh, it, it helped me identify the, the fat within organizations mm. to just like trim it out. And uh, at the end of the day, I have, okay, a much smaller organization, but uh, very much efficient, yeah. way more efficient, sorry. When you, you started that and you trimmed out the fat and started with that sort of one thing, when mm -hmm. you, you built Sleek and your MVP, when you're starting out with just the bare bones, how was that for you? What did you, I mean, because I'll, I'll flick up the, the product page here on the, the pitch deck on number five. Um, and this itself is that, you know, what you've been talking about is your the more developed product. But when you were actually starting out, how was it for you? How did you approach that? You know, starting from zero, not being a, a, a corporate secretary yourself. Yeah, of course. So the MVP was very simple. Huh? Like any, like a lot of other, you know, startups, we use the Google Sheets, uh, Google, sorry, Google Form to actually acquire, you know, all the information from uh, the clients. So it looked pretty much the same as the, the, the left uh, screenshot uh, for the information that we we're capturing. However, yes, the experience was horrendous with all the respect that I have for Google Forms. Uh, but, you know, it worked and people were quite happy to be able to do everything remotely uh, with the flat pricing and also with the efficiency that we had mm. behind. So, yeah, the first, like, uh, I think 20 companies that we closed, uh, for us, it was a huge milestone because thanks to all these 20 guys, we had we managed to adjust the whole onboarding process to right. really like trim the fat out of yeah, the too many questions that we we're asking. Uh, also, we had to bear, you know, with the legal requirements that we had. Um, so yeah. Um, so with those those first twenty, when you pitched the MVP to them, you had a product at that stage because I know people who go out and do it with screenshots, right? So we, we had a Google Form based. Uh, that was product. it. Yes, okay. that's a it. Google Form based product. Yeah. Okay. And and and, and a vision and also like the well, the, there was a guarantee of one price and efficiency. Mm. And at the end of the day, that's really what people care about. Right. So I wondered when you were pitching them, what it is that you were focusing on? What was the message? What was the story when you were talking to those companies or would be founders that, you know, okay, we're not this incorporation service that you can see online with the very, you know, they have the website with the pictures of like, you know, BVI or the Bahamas and stuff like that. We're just a guy with Google Sheets. How did it work for you? You must have focused really laser like on the pitch and that key proposition. Exactly. So that's pretty much, uh, I was giving, you know, the, the story that I gave you earlier in the, in the, in the podcast, yeah. uh, the story about me uh, going through incorporation and going through like the three ma major pains, efficiency, pricing, and also the fact that everything was done out of uh, like on paper. And we were addressing these three pain points. And, uh, well, yeah, uh, these, these are our three USPs, and it worked. Yeah, and did you pitch full price when you were starting out? Um, it worked a few times, but, uh, yeah. yeah, we were also doing a bit of discounting. Right, you have obviously, to. Obviously, yeah. Yeah, no, well, yeah definitely. Exactly. At the MVP stage, even getting them to pay $1, open ah, exactly. the wallet and get the credit card out, that difference between zero and one is bigger, but bigger than one to a 1,000, right? Do I trust you enough to pay you even $1 with my credit card? So where did you get your first customers from? Were they people you knew or did you go out and hunt them down? So before actually starting Sleek, uh, I started to reach out to all my friends who had entities and companies yeah. in Singapore. And I was asking them, okay, are you happy with your accountant and your corporate secretary? Would you recommend this person to me? And it's fantastic because 100% of them were, were telling me, 
Adrian, we're friends. I don't want to ruin your, uh, our friendship, so I'm never going to recommend you my corpse right. So for me, it was you know pure gold because I was doing my marketing survey. All these guys weren't happy, so obviously you know I reached out to them again. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, they were crazy enough maybe to you know trust us, but um, looking at our NPS score, they're quite happy. Right. They're renewing, so which means that you know it works. Interestingly, you, you track NPS. Yes. You know, is that something that you brought in at an early stage? Why, was that something you did at Carrefour, for example? Because not every organization uses NPS. No, it was uh, with Luxola and then Sephora, right. just yeah. to measure you know, the customer satisfaction. Uh, and uh, I was the CMO of uh, so Luxola and then the e-commerce part of Sephora. So for me, the customer satisfaction rate was, uh, well, uh, right. my heartbeat, uh, literally. Uh, customer is satisfied, he's going to buy again. Uh, a customer is not satisfied, you have to find out why and yeah. uh, to address these issues. So I'd say that for the first like 100 companies that we onboarded, I was actually selling them. So mm. I was really like, you know, uh, in direct touch with the clients. And I take a great pride at actually calling very often my clients to, you know, understand how the business is going, to see if I can do anything to help them. Uh, and then also if there is something else we can actually, you know, do on the platform to make their life better. Uh, so it gives you like a lot of feedback, lots of information yeah. on how to shape your product uh, so that more people could be, you know, uh, happy with it. So you were doing that when you were CMO of Luxola and mm -hmm. you were tracking NPS and you had a large group of customers that you could track and you had the resources as well. Yes. When you're, I'm curious, as, as a startup, when you were tracking a much smaller group of customers, let's say you've got tens or hundreds at the beginning, right? You, does it make sense to track NPS? Can you Can you get the kind of volume of feedback or does it matter? Does it actually change behavior? What sort of things did you see in bringing NPS into your organization, seeing the impact of it? So um, I'm a hugely KPI driven person and that's also something that we're, you know, spreading across the organization. So of course the NPS from like the, the first uh, days was like Soviet style a 70, uh, you know, a score of 70. So it doesn't mean anything yeah. uh, because you're even higher than Coca-Cola or, you know, all Aren't the big amazing? guys. Or Apple. Yeah, <laughs> we're more than amazing. Uh, obviously, you know, this number went down, uh, but at some point it stabilizes. And then uh, if it goes down, you're able to, well, uh, you have to understand why it, it yeah. went down. Is it because more people are here? Is it because you're addressing with less quality, uh, you know, a, a bigger audience? Uh, you have to find out why. Yeah. Often it's because you're earliest customers are the people who believe in you and yes. they, they're, they're fans aren't they and there's some sort of maybe one or two degrees of separation maybe the people you know like your friends for example so they're always going to give you a better rating than people who don't know you that's natural right well sometimes you know uh, i mean so i really like my friends and i really like also the fact that they criticize me a lot uh, right, and okay. that they're like brutally honest sometimes yeah and um, that's what i value with them uh, so when you started talking to your customers and they gave you brutal feedback how did that change things what, what do you know now about your services that you didn't know when you started out what have you learned from that sort of often tough feedback we reshaped entirely like uh, the checkout process and the uh, you know onboarding process on, on our platform because we had repeated feedbacks from our clients that uh, you know it made no sense it was very painful very heavy and uh, we did a lot of A-B testing. Uh, mm. We again, you know, submitted these things to the, the clients um, in exchange of a lot of beers. And, uh, you know, eventually they said, okay, fine, this is better, or this right. is the way you, you have to adjust your, your, your checkout process. 
And then when you see your conversion rate going up, then you know that you're doing something right. Yeah. So yeah, A-B testing and uh, beers. Yeah. Uh, okay, it always works. Yeah, exactly. It's good startup mentality, isn't it? Are you, I know some organizations, a lot of organizations don't do A-B testing. Some only do it on their newsletter and the headlines, for example. How, how much of it is a part of your organization? Do you split test everything or is there you know, certain things you split test? No, we split test pretty much everything on the platform, uh, on, like online, on our ads, uh, emails, subject lines, uh, the content of the emails. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was my life before and this habit is not going to change. Uh, we do need you, to you know, test everything. So you, I, I don't have any, sorry, I don't have any personal certainty. Right. I need data to back, you know, something uh, yeah. that I believe in. That makes complete sense that you're doing it. There's no BS in what you do. Exactly. Doing. But, uh, you know, is there a point at which you, you have to stop split testing stuff and you have to make a decision without data? Do you ever, because I I've sometimes wonder that is that, should I split test or so I just decide to do it? Because sometimes, you know, you've got to go with gut reaction or maybe am I wrong? At the end of the day, you will look at the data after. So if your gut reaction, you know, drives you in one direction yeah. and uh, well, no one is coming to your platform, no one converts. Okay, you followed your instinct. That's great, but your instinct might not be, you know, uh, of a great market fit. Yeah. So at some point, you know, you have to stay humble, get back on the ground, and say, okay, I was wrong, and then I'm going, I'm heading on the other direction, and then I'm trying new A/B testing again. That's so true. Uh, there's an example. I'm sitting with Barrett here, who will know this well. Is that I had an instinct about we got to change the the homepage of our website because I just believe this is right. And if you would attract sort of my decision and the website traffic, Went the down. Web, it bombed. Yeah. So I had to step back and completely be humble that, you know, I screwed up. Yeah. But, you know, every mistake helps you to learn something and, uh, you know, to get better at what you do every single day. So I, I don't get me wrong. Huh? We make a lot, a lot of mistakes and we yeah. keep on doing a lot of mistakes. So sometimes, you know, customers are not happy and so on, but you have to, again, stay humble, apologize, change the way, you know, you are addressing them. And then, you know, their satisfaction should go up. How much has your background been, you lived in many different countries and not necessarily the most comfortable countries mm -hmm. in the world. You've been in Argentina, you spent time in China, you're in Jakarta. How much has that shaped your approach to business? You know, in you're talking about constantly making mistakes, challenging yourself, being humble. Are there any parallels with like your, your life in the sense that you've lived in all these different places, which a little bit chaotic, a little bit energetic, yeah, I mean, uh, I I think it's right. Uh, living in challenging places actually, uh, well, always, you know, uh, gets you to be fighting, uh, to understand the country, to understand the language, to uh, make yourself, you know, understandable as well. Mm. Uh, for example, in China, so uh, at the very beginning, it was very difficult because yeah, in Beijing, like very few people were speaking in English, especially, you know, the taxi drivers. It took me three months to actually pronounce my address correctly. Wow. And so the, 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 the driver could actually understand in one go. So, I mean, the minute, you know, it happened, I was like so pumped. <laughs> I was like, yeah, fine, I'm, 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 I'm succeeding at my integration. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, one, you have to, you know, stay curious and stay open to like others. Yeah. Otherwise, if you arrive, you know, in China with uh, the eyes of, uh, well, your French eyes uh, with your French narrow mind, uh, You'll never not ever. just French people. Yeah, we're, then, we're in that camp as well. Okay, few, few <laughs> British as well. It's just that you never succeed. You never get to understand. You know the local people. You yeah. never get to communicate. So obviously, yes, you have to one stay humble, curious, and of course open uh, to you know to to others. That's yeah, it. and when you essentially are building a service based business, how important that is because 
you know, at the end of the day, you're about a service and experience and you're about taking frustrations out of people's lives, aren't you? You know, that frustration, it's not just about paperwork. This is about, especially, you know, when you're talking about people starting businesses, this is about hopes and dreams and, you know, people's stories mm -hmm. and how they sort of realize those. And there's these huge sort of frustrations and roadblocks and all of that in it. So you, you're really sort of understanding what people do in their lives. And, you know, in the sense that, to have a business and simply just push paperwork and file paperwork seems to be missing out. You know, making that a service business, when you talked about NPS, you talked about, you know, going out and getting the brutal feedback. You talked about, for example, talking to people and helping them being part of the MVP and so on. That mindset and linking that back to, you know, your travel as well, that you've lived in challenging places or like in China, for example, trying to communicate with people. That how important that is in a world driven by technology is that people forget that actually this is about people and you need this sort of empathy. It's a term that comes up a lot these days, but really to have it and, you know, to understand people and put yourself out there as a founder, essentially what you are is that, you know, out there in, in their shoes, because mm -hmm. you could so easily sit on the other side behind the computer screen. Exactly. So, so how, how do you challenge yourself to do that regularly? Because now you're sort of becoming successful. How do you challenge yourself to constantly be open to feedback and so it's very simple so i keep on selling of course our service i keep on meeting a lot of entrepreneurs and what i really like about our job is that we are really at the inception at the birth you know of a, of a company so you meet sometimes you know people that are very experienced it's not their first company they know the drill so it's very efficient so they see you as really like a service provider so they don't really care if you have a product or not they, ju they just want you to you know get things done yeah but the vast majority of uh, you know uh, our clients are first-time entrepreneurs, uh, people that are you know structuring a vehicle or an entity for the first time, and you really feel that I mean there is an emotional connection with these guys because uh, you're really the first contractor for their company, and uh, it's very yeah emotional because they have a lot of questions, uh, they have a lot of uh, well anxiety, mm. so you also need to tell them yes I've been in your shoes. I got mugged by all the other traditional guys. I don't want this to happen to you. And this is, you know, these are things that uh, I can help you with also on the side, like connecting you with my friends that are in the ad tech industry mm -hmm. or in the e-commerce space. Um, and they value a lot, that kind of thing. And you were talking about empathy. So I, I have no problem in actually saying no to someone that comes to me with a, well, a request that actually might not be the right one. For example, I'm never going to tell you, oh yeah, you should incorporate a company in Singapore. When actually it does not, you know, suit, it does, it, there is no, if there is no fit with your business or if your project on the way you envision it actually makes no sense. Mm. I'm not going to tell you that it's, you know, not the right thing to do uh, because obviously, well, you're an entrepreneur, you're a grown man and uh, well, you do whatever you want, but I won't be the advocate of like incorporating in Singapore. And actually all the guys that I, uh, that we say no to, uh, they realize, I mean, they're like, well, what happened? This guy that, you know, I wanted to give him my money. He yeah. said, no, uh, why? And the minute after they realized that actually uh, what you told them made sense, then they are like the best ambassadors for your company. Yeah. Yeah. And they're driving us like a lot of organic, you know, referrals and so on, uh, because they think that, yes, we're benevolent. We have, we, we showed empathy to them mm -hmm. and uh, they respect that. So yeah. I, I'm a huge believer uh, in, yeah, being empath um, empathic. Empathic, yeah, yeah sorry. Oh no, it's a difficult one. Yeah, and also saying no, how important that is to grow. That I, as, as a startup founder, I'm a startup founder myself, I've started businesses, I've invested in businesses as well, is that the challenge is always that you want to chase every rabbit. 
that's out there. So you think you want to take every opportunity, but when you, you only really start growing when you start saying no to stuff, that you, you have a clear definition of what you're not going to do, because that really defines what you are going to do as well. And I find that's really important because I, I wish more startup founders would say no more because that would be their path to growth as well because it frees up the time to do the stuff they really want to say yes to, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I agree you have to say no to certain things and you have to, you know, stay focused and uh, you choose your battles. That's it. Hmm. Um, so big corporates actually were interested by us, but, uh, well, uh, they have like huge processes it's very difficult and very complex to deal with them. So that's why, you know, we said no to them because we could have, you know, uh, taken their money, but uh, the price that they would pay, uh, that they would charge a Fortune 500 company would be the same that, you know, I would be charging you. So mm. there is no economic interest for me in actually going to see the big guys. I'm very happy and I'm very okay with, uh, with the smaller ones, the, the future big ones. Uh, and then uh, second, I'm not saying no for the sake of saying no. Um, it suggests that if I bring you on board and if after you have your private limited company in your hands and you don't know what to do with it, the first person that you're going to complain to is me. Yeah. And then, uh, well, things could get a bit messy and painful for you as an entrepreneur. And I don't want you to be in such a position. That's it. Sure. Okay. In terms because of after you could become a business liability and uh, yeah, and it's, it's a headache. Yeah, you, exactly. You wanna, like you say, choose your battles. You exactly. don't want to go to bed at night worrying about. And my NPS score would go down, so <laughs> I would not be super happy. There you go. That's where the matrix, the the metrics drive the behavior as well. It's an important part of it. Your team now. How you know you said you were lean. Like you like to keep it lean. How many people? So we are now twenty five. Mm -hmm. So I know it's not very lean after well uh, one year. Uh, it suggests that the tech at the very beginning went a bit slower than expected. So we had to staff, you know, uh, well, people uh, to act humanly uh, without, with, with not, uh, not that much technology. But now that actually the tech is really on par, uh, well, we have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, traction. Yeah. And, well, you need to, to get things done. So we have a lot of, uh, well, engineers and also a lot of people in operations doing all the corporate secretary and the accounting. And we have a small uh, yeah, sales and marketing team. Yeah, and that's the way you've got to do it, isn't it? You've got to build like a concierge type service first and learn how all the processes work manually. Exactly. Then you can have the technology, you know, document that once then outsource it to the technology, so to speak. Once you crack the problem with yeah. uh, humans, then after you're more able to, well, create uh, a very nice products because you would have seen like a lot of problems, a lot of, you know, cases. Yes. Yeah. And then after you have data that will actually back the way you will shape your product. Absolutely. And the 25 people here in Singapore? Yes. It's an expensive city to bootstrap in. Yeah. But thank God, you know, the, the business is the going well. Is so the revenue <laughs> is there. Yeah. Are you currently recruiting at the moment? Yes. What, what are you looking for? So we're mainly looking for hustlers. So people yeah. that really want, you know, to get things done. Uh, hustlers in technology. So people who want to shape... Uh, a new product in a very traditional space. Um, the space of corporate secretary is probably the last, uh, you know, hanging fruit uh, on the tree of like traditional businesses with no, uh, mm. no tech. Uh, we're hiring people in corporate secretary. So uh, like legal, you know, background people uh, that actually want to, in to join like a, a cool startup to be in. Mm. Um, and then third, well, sales and marketing. Uh, do you want to sell like the new uh, next next generation of uh, sorry uh, next generation of legal services uh, with us it's it's quite fun actually yeah it's a very unsexy product that we and that we sell but uh, we are at the inception of uh, you know a lot of companies 
and we meet founders every single day. So that's that's the part of the job uh, that I really like, actually. Okay, and for those people who are interested in, in joining, they need to know a little bit about the culture. Yes. Because I, I guess there are plenty of people out there who have maybe corporate secretarial or legal secretarial or you know that sort of background, accounting, maybe finance experience and skills. However, you're looking for specific people and specific mindsets. Mm -hmm. What do they need to know? What can you tell them about, okay, these type of people need to apply, these type maybe don't? So I think it's, well, pretty much the people that are bored with uh, the uh, traditional pyramidal, you know, like a kind of company where you have the boss that decides for everything. Uh, we are, I'm not going to say that, you know, we're uh, an anarchist company where everybody can do whatever they want, no. We're a flat company with like very like independent and autonomous teams mm. that actually make decisions on their own. Uh, but we are a team uh, that is you know striving for one goal: just disrupt this market, bring uh, a new alternative to, to the market based on technology and based on efficiency. Um, and I believe in three things. Uh, so you know core values in terms of business. Mm -hmm. One, it's the trust. So I'm really going to trust you if you choose. Uh, to, to join us. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to give you everything you need in terms of you know resources and also like freedom of action. Second, it's the performance. Obviously, unfortunately, we're not an NGO. We're here to perform. We're not, you know, with the head out of the water yet. So it's very important for us to learn to swim very, very efficiently and very quickly. So then, you know, if you perform, that's great. The trust, you know, will, uh, will remain there. If you perform less, obviously the trust, you know, is a bit eroded and goes away um, so you know these two are really going uh, you know tied together mm -hmm. and the third one is fun obviously uh, we work long hours uh, we are a startup so um, it's not you know like Google where you can you know uh, go and play ping pong and so on whenever you want uh, there is a certain you know discipline in terms of work and yeah. that's necessary again we're learning how to swim uh, but at the end of the day uh, yeah um, we're quite flexible with a lot of things uh, we like to go and drink, you know, with with our team. We like to, you know, do outings uh, with the team. Uh, we're we're a big family, you know, in in a big project. How do you know that I'll be the right guy? For example, if I'm bored with the pyramid structure, as you say, I have the skills that you're looking for, mm -hmm. and I'll tell you everything that you need to know and polish up very well for the job interview. How do you know I'm the right person, though? What sort of, you know, is there any sort of evidence that I'm the right person? Looking at my background, my history, my, my way of thinking, what interests me, or even on my CV? I think, you know, it, it's very, yeah, one of the few questions I ask uh, at the very beginning of the interview is, okay, okay tell me what we are doing. Yeah. And it's crazy to see the number of people that, you know, have, they barely went to the website and they barely, you know, dig the, into it. So the minute, you know, you first tell me that, you're already like in the 20%, you know, on top yeah. of, uh, of, of the others. But then after, it's more like, uh, okay, are you a doer? Uh, obviously, I'm not going to do like reference check for like uh, three hours calling all your previous bosses and so on. So I'd say that there is a bit of gut feeling uh, to see if you are a reliable person, a trustworthy one. And then after, uh, yeah, uh, we made mistakes. We will keep on making mistakes. Um, if you come on board and if you like our organization, we will give you everything in I mean, in your hands to yeah. make a successful, you know, path and career with us. If you're not happy with us, uh, then, I mean, we made a mistake uh, yeah. and you also made a little mistake. No, no big no deal, offense, move on. No big deal. Yeah, you exactly. move on. We are also, I mean, we're not here to, to torture you on a daily basis. So there is no, no yeah. interest in actually keeping you on board. I like the idea of asking them to sell you back to you. I think that's a good question that any founder should ask is, 
you know. It gives you an idea of, you know, how deep the guy yeah. you know, went in, uh, like, looking at uh, what you're doing, the problems that you're solving, and so on, so... And if they believe as well, if they believe in the mission and... Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, there you go. That's a great question, and if anybody's watching this who's coming for an interview at you guys, then um, they know what the question is that you should be researching. But that's great. I mean, they've done the effort of actually watching this as well and finding out a bit more about your story. So. Exactly. And yourselves, in terms of the company, are you raising at the moment? So we're always raising, you know, yeah. money from Endless. like smart people. Endless, yeah. Uh, we raised a total of $1.1 million over the past year uh, from uh, primarily angel investors in Singapore that really believed in what we were doing because they went themselves through the pain of corporate secretary and also one, uh, one local fund uh, who, who's here to support us. Yeah. And next step? Next step is really like to, to work on the expansion and uh, mm. on really like the, the growth of our product in Singapore and, uh, and also overseas. So are you specifically looking for um, investors at this stage or are you growing fast and then going back? Just so, so I know, because some, some of them watch this program. Right now we're, we're finalizing sorry, the, the products yeah. and we're also building like uh, the, next, uh, the next level plan that we, that we have. Okay, and I wonder if, if so it's, you a, it's a small yes at the moment, yeah, but uh, maybe. <laughs> I need uh, I need one or two more weeks to actually you know fine tune uh, everything. All right, no worries at all. We'll give you the time, and Thanks. you know, in terms of strategic partnerships as well, because often people will reach out that you know maybe you hadn't considered before. So people need to know: like, are you looking for this kind of particular type of partnership? Somebody can open up geographies, or somebody can open up vertical sectors, or you you know anything like that. We're more. I mean. We're like agnostic on that kind of thing. We we like people, you know, that believe in what we're doing, that went through the pain of what we're doing. Um, so yeah, pretty much anyone with a, with a smile and also like efficient and uh, that you know went through the pain, and you can very quickly feel you know the people that yeah. went through the pain of corporate secretary. Uh, so, there you yeah. go. Absolutely. Great, Adrian. Thank you so much for joining us today and Thanks sharing your story with us. What would be the most effective way? If I wanted to reach out to you, potential investor partner, or wants to join your team, what which channel works for you? Uh, I'm literally like wired uh, to LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, so Adrian Bartel with an H after the T, or uh, Adrian at sleek.sg. Uh, that's my email address. Okay, we'll put all the details in the show notes. Thanks. Adrian Bartel, thanks so much for joining us today, sharing your journey with us. Um, all the best with your ongoing journey and the endeavor. Thanks a lot. And uh, keep us updated. Come back on the show in the future and share with us the good news and also you know the lessons learned in the last six 12 months we'd love to hear on that that's adrian bartel everybody co-founder and ceo of sleek thank you so much thank you graham